0: Well, it's always always great to be in an atmosphere where there's so much life and vitality and excitement. And this morning has been no exception to that. We are, we are thrilled about, about being able to join together this Sunday. I know that with so many that are preparing for holiday and thinking about what's going in front of us, that I, I would like to say before I even get into the scriptures this morning, that I'm grateful that I live in a nation where we have the freedom to worship as we please. And that you have decided this morning to join in that worship, exercising your, your right to do so. And I'm excited about that. Amen? Amen? I hope that this morning that you'll realize that last week I just just took the scissors out and I cut that thing right at a weird spot on purpose. Because this week we're going to pick up where we left off last week. So if you have your Bibles, turn with me in them to Luke chapter 10. And when you get there... I want you to start with me reading at verse number 29. I know that's not what's on the screen. That's, that's all right. I'll read the first part and you can just follow along. So if you would stand with me when you get there. Luke chapter 10. I'll begin reading at verse number 29. Luke chapter 10, verse number 29 says this. But he, wanting to justify himself, said to Jesus, And who is my neighbor? And when he saw him, he had compassion. So when he went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine, and he set him on his own animal, brought him to an inn and took care of him. On the next day, when he departed, he took out two denarii, gave them to the innkeeper and said to him, take care of him. And whatever more you spend, I will come again. I will repay you. So which of these three do you think was neighbor to him who fell among thieves? And he said, He who showed mercy on him. Then Jesus said to him, Go and do likewise. Would you bow with me? Lord, we thank you that as we come to Scripture that we are reminded by our, our most excellent teacher who is you. Lord, that what seems right in our heart needs to be challenged to be better than it is. Because in doing so, we see the magnitude of what the work in front of us really is. And that work is to, is to see beyond our own wants, needs, and desires and to see the world around us that is desperately hurting and desperately broken and is in need of someone to lean in and care. I pray, Lord, that we would become the light of the gospel in the midst of our community because we see people and we choose to stay on the same side where they're at. We ask for this in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. So if you remember and we're actually going to spend, you know, this is the second week out of a a number of weeks where we're going to talk about this quotation from the Old Testament where the greatest commandment is. We're going to talk about this picture. That's what's going to, we're looking ahead to. And this part, he says, you know, what does the scripture teach you? The question that he asked and the one that we're going to revisit at the very end of of the sermon today is, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus gives him such a strange answer. He's talking about caring for somebody else. And you're like, but brother Ben, I've always been told my whole life that my personal relationship with Jesus is the measure of the whole thing. He says, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And and Jesus is clearly stating that our relationship with the outside world has something something to do with the measure of it. I, I look to the scriptures and I see it. We get into verse number 30 and where I left off last week, with Jesus just absolutely just shattering the the expectation of the world around him. But when he says, who is my neighbor? He says, there's a guy who was robbed and he was left half dead. And that's where he starts off with our neighbor. And I want you to think with me about your neighbors for just a minute. And, And you know what I mean when I say your neighbors, you know, people who live Next door. Now, some of you next door is miles away, right? Okay, that's okay. Still your neighbor. But Jesus is expanding our worldview to see more than that. And I'm not talking about just across the street. I'm talking about into the soul of a person, into the life of a human who has desperate need. Now, there's there's a little bit of boundary setting that I hope to do this morning, and I know this seems like it's kind of like all these pieces laid out here, but I'm gonna try to draw them all together real tightly here in a moment. There is a principle here that I hope that you'll notice with me. Jesus' instruction on who his neighbor is is to help a man who's in a crisis right now. Now there are those in the world that believe that others exist to take care of every one of their needs. Now I would suggest to you that the biblical model for us caring for our neighbors is one of those where we have boundaries that say we're not going to be taken advantage of but we will help you in your crisis. If you have a temporary need, you don't mind leaning in. And so there's a, there's a boundary here that I'll set because, man, in pastoral ministry, I see it, and I know you see it, where, where loved ones, family members, community members will get to know that you're generous in spirit and in heart, and they'll just keep coming back to you and keep coming back to you and keep coming back to you. That is not what's being described here. What's being described here is somebody has fallen into a temporary crisis. They're in a bad spot, and he sees this, and he leans into help. You can do what, how you want to measure out the other side of that coin that I just described. And I believe there's a place to minister there too. But I want you to be careful not to be abused. This is a moment by which you become a good steward of the moment of somebody's temporary need and you lean in to help them. That's what's being described here. And this is a powerful biblical moment for us because it doesn't absolve us from helping people. It does give us some boundaries of when we should and when we should not. That being said, read with me. Then verse number 30 again, it says, Then Jesus answered and said, A certain man went down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell among thieves, who stripped him of his clothing, wounded him, and departed, leaving him half dead. This is such an interesting part of Scripture for me because one of the reasons that Jesus, in my opinion, that Jesus is inserted into the world at the time he was is because there were some certain things that were, that were at play that made the world an easier place to traverse. And if you study history, you're gonna find that, that the way of Rome made it possible for there to be these roads that people could go back and forth between all of of the known world. But one of the things that happened because of that is that people knew where people would be going and they would lay in wait. Well, if I were to teach you the the whole history lesson about when Jesus lived in the earth, we'd have to go to a different passage of scripture to find credence for it. But I will tell you that the law of Rome was also powerful in this moment. And these guys that are, these pirates along the side of the road that are taking advantage of this man would have been dealt with in the Roman way. And that's a completely different model than America's, by the way. And that model, the onus is on you to prove your innocence. You're guilty until you're proved innocent. Aren't you glad you live in America? Where you're innocent until proved guilty. I have this moment where when I read the scriptures that I I see this moment and I look at these guys who are clearly taking advantage of somebody on a known path, a well-worn path. And what happens next is something that I would suggest many of us are very guilty of. I, I myself cannot say that I'm innocent in this matter because sometimes it just seems like the busyness of everything causes me to be Single-minded about what's in front of me And not see people for who they are If you're not guilty of this, then praise the Lord But if you are guilty like me of this, then know Jesus is teaching us a better way today He says here, now by chance A certain priest came down that road And when he saw him He passed by on the other side It's easy to see people in me to be like, man, I do not have time for this today Been there, done that have, I have that experience in, under my belt you know, I don't ever feel better about my day whenever I'm too busy to help people. I don't ever say to myself later, Man, if I had stopped and not and helped them, my day would have been, you know, all these other things. I always think to myself, Man, they just for just a little bit more of me to give. And I always think to myself, how could I have done that differently or better? I wish that were the, the whole of the criticism, but then Jesus also. He says, likewise, a Levite, when he arrived at the place, came and looked and passed by on the other side. So not only the priest, but now the Levite. And this is a very real clean synopsis. And if you want to get to real academic with me, this is a measurement of who you are and what you do. One has everything to do with family lineage. That's the Levite priest. is about the, about the order and the responsibilities of their priestly duties. What you do and who you, whose family you were born into. Jesus is saying... That's no good excuse for you to walk around the needs of other people. I know, you're like, Brother Ben. I suggest that in in an atmosphere that we live in currently, where prices continue to rise and people continue to struggle, that you'll see more and more need from your fellow man. You should not utilize your lineage or your profession as means by which to excuse yourself from the responsibility of your neighbor. Point number one here says the other side isn't the right side. These two individuals show us what not to do. There is a moment here where you ask yourself the question, you know, well, what should they have done? And in verse 33, we get that explanation. It says, but a certain Samaritan, as he journeyed, came where he was. And when he saw him, he had compassion. Now, there's all kinds of things to unpack here. Levite has the right family. The priestly lineage has the right responsibility. The Samaritan is not well looked upon in his community. And he's the one that's going to do the good thing. Isn't it amazing how sometimes the most unexpected people oftentimes do the best work? There's a moment in my history where a major tropical storm had come through. It was a hurricane that turned into a tropical depression. It dropped about three cubic miles on top of the Gulf Coast. Three cubic miles. That's three miles, three miles, three miles. And that's what God picked up out of the Gulf Coast and dropped on on the the, the Gulf Coast. He picked up out of the Gulf and dropped right on the Gulf Coast, and everything was just just beyond measure, right. Water in the homes up to the, to the doorposts. Pictures of my phone, people I visited afterwards that had water above their door. People's houses where all you could see was the peak of the roof cap. Stop signs, completely underwater. I mean, this is a time in my life where I'm looking at this moment and I'm thinking to myself, this is unbelievable. A mile in every direction from where I lived was underwater, it felt like. And if, like a phone rings at the church, because we had a small amount of damage at the church, it was actually not a significant a crisis for us. We tore some carpet out. We went back to work. And I'm grateful for that because God, you know, saw fit that a, a friend of mine picked up a phone. And he's down the road in Houston. And his church has been taking supplies to hand out to people. And those supplies are overrunning him. He doesn't have enough room for him. And he picks up his phone. He says, who do I know that's down the road that, that has a church that can help people? And he, he thinks of me for some reason. And when he says, hey, can we send? Can we divert some of this to you? They're coming from north of you. They can come to you instead of to Houston. And I was like, yeah. I had no idea what that meant. They brought three trailer fulls of stuff, a car hauler and other closed trailers, and they brought them. They sat in traffic. It took them two hours to come the last four miles. And when they got there, we had told the community the supplies were coming. And, you know, by this time, the grocery stores are closed, and the, the dollar general is closed, and the gas stations are out of gas, and everything is at a standstill. And they just roll in. I mean, they're being let come one at a time. That's how the, the emergency responders are letting them come. The water has come down just enough that they can let a vehicle come one way. And they're letting them come one at a time, back and forth. They're creating wakes, by the way, so don't drive through flood zones, please. Fast, because you create a wake, and it pushes water up into houses. That's one-on-one. Hopefully you never have to experience it. When they show up, the whole community has just showed up on our doorstep because we told them. We got on social media and said, hey, we're going to have stuff. And we filled the fellowship hall. And Lord knows how to put people in your life. You know, my wife was like, we need a plan. And I was like, you're right. We need a plan how we're going to organize this stuff, how we're going to let people in to get it. So we sat everybody down. And I'm grateful for my better half because she was like, let me be your brain for just a minute. And I was like, thank you. Men, that's a lesson for you. Sometimes you should look at your wife and say, thank you, be my brain, for just a few minutes. Anyway, so we organized the supplies, and we brought everybody in, and we created a plan, and we told them how the order was going to go for people to walk through and get what they needed. We asked them not to take more than what they absolutely had to have. Of course, people tried to push on us there. I had to be the bad guy a couple times and tell them, hey, you're, you're, you're taking more than you should. And we had food. We had some basic medicine, over-the-counter stuff. We had toiletries. We had... Even some bread and milk showed up. They were like, how did that happen? One of my deacons looks at me. After we had gotten through this first exhausting day, and he says, I have lived here my whole life and gone to church here my whole life, and we have never used a building like this. And I looked at him, and I said, you're missing it then. You're missing it. You're missing an opportunity to look at your community and help them. And you're missing it. You're missing the ministry that is crying out. One of the hardest parts for me is that people didn't know when we put on social media who we were and what we were doing. They didn't even know what we were. So what is that? And I was like, it's pretty embarrassing that people in your community don't know what your church name is or what it means. When we put your initials on something, they have no idea where it is or what you are. We're on the main street in your town. We were no longer, no longer a mystery. Everybody knew after that week. I don't think that Southeast Texas would have welcomed me like they did, but everybody knew who I was after that week too. And I mean, God just has a funny way of giving a handshake to a community. But in that moment, we decided to lean in and do something. The next time the phone rang, it was the local um, emergency response guys, Jody Herrera is the chief over that area there. And he picked up the phone and he said, man, I hear you guys are doing some pretty great stuff. FEMA is trying to work in our area and they need a point of distribution in our county. He's like, Will you guys be a point of distribution? I said, I don't know what that means, but yes. Semi after semi shows up on our doorstep and we're trying to unload MREs and pallets of water and just using volunteer help and we're stacking stuff down and we got two refrigerated trucks that are just holding ice and I got to create a strategy to feed people. And once again, my deacons look at me and they say, We have never done anything like this. And what I could think of in the moment was we look a lot like priests and Levites because we have nobility and we have heritage, but we have no ministry. And I look at this passage and it looks at Jesus and he's telling me, he says, your neighbor, your neighbor, your neighbor is that one who's laying in the road, drowning in his own blood. What are you going to do about it? But a certain Samaritan, as he journeyed, came where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. Point number two is compassion should move us to action. This is exactly what happens in this next verse. So he went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine, and he set him on his own animal, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. This compassionate motion of this man just to see this other person in need, to scoop him up, to, to, to help tend to his immediate needs. You know, we were not handing out anything that somebody couldn't have gotten. A couple of weeks later, the stores were open again. All we were doing was doling out hope. There's a hopelessness in our world. You know, in a few short weeks, you know, here before you know it, school we'll start to crank up again. And I'm excited about that because I understand that we do a pretty big thing with school supplies. And I'm going to put it right on our classes, our, our connect group hour. Love your neighbors. Pick an item off that list. Go out to the store and buy pencils or buy paper. And we'll just let every single connect group pick a different item. And we'll say, we are not Levites and priests here. We are doing ministry instead. We are only thinking about our neighbor. We're going to, we're going to find practical ways to help people. You see this moment back here, this transformation that's happening in our church to serve our community, to help help children have a, have a, a harbor in the midst of a, of a world that needs to send their parents to work. We're saying, yes, there's a need. We're going to find a way to fill it. We don't, we don't, we didn't, for the for the life of me, we understood some of it, but we are understanding it better now. So we need your prayers for this kind of a thing. We need your support. We need your enthusiasm. It's really cool when we put a Facebook post up and it just starts to just spring from one person to another person, isn't it? All of a sudden you're saying, wow, they're doing something there. We see this moment where we begin to realize that all of this stuff is wedded together. Well, not only does he care for him, something else happens. Something very important happens. Verse number 35 says, on the next day when he departed, he took out two. And the word here speaks of a day's worth of wages. He gave him two days' worth of wages to care for him in the the future days. He says, take care of him, and whatever more you spend, when I come again, I will repay you. And point number three this morning is that compassion binds us to the present and to the future. We are not just doing the thing right now. We're doing the thing, and we're looking into the future, saying, this is not going to be the end of your need. Let us help you get back to a place of capability. You see, because that's what I believe that good neighbors do is they help their neighbors go from a temporary crisis into a, into a place where they don't need the help anymore. This is not about disabling people with, with aid or help, which is something that I think is what people at the church are oftentimes cr- criticized about is that we don't disable. People will say, you don't want to help me. And we'll say, no, it's not that we don't want to help you. It's that we don't want to disable you by continuing to help you do something that you should be able to do for yourself. And that's a different thing than what we're describing here. I see that too frequently. I think it's less compassionate to just give somebody what they want than to help them get something that they need that will help them do for themselves when they can do for themselves. But he says, when I come again, I will repay you. And I look at this and I think to myself, wow, how can we help somebody? Without disabling them, how can we be wedded to the present and to the future, but not the forever? You see, I would think that a friendship would be better to grow here than a dependency, and I think that's exactly what's going to happen as a result of this story. Well, Jesus immediately turns. He just immediately turns, and he says this powerful thing. He says, "So, which of these three do you think was neighbor to him who fell among the thieves?" And that lawyer probably is one to crawfish. That's what we say when somebody wants to back out of something. You know anybody that likes to crawfish? Crawfish like to back up. They come up that little mud stack in your yard and they leave. I've been in parts of the world where you can't hardly mow without cleaning your blade regular. Just the, the mud stacks will dull your, your mower blade. I just think if I was this lawyer in this moment, I'd want to crawfish right out of this conversation with Jesus. it would be like... I, Maybe inheriting eternal life is the biggest thing I thought it was after I got that story because now you're asking me to do something, preacher. Isn't it funny how that works? You come to Jesus and you ask Him a question, He's going to give you something to do because we don't tell Him what to do. We ask Him what He wants us to do, right? That's the message for for weeks now, isn't it? He says, which of these three Verse 37 says, And he said, He who showed mercy on him. And for the first time, this word pops up in this story. This word is mercy. And there's this moment when you're like, What was his initial question? How do I inherit eternal life? And he says, Take care of other people, see mercy. Because inherently, eternal life is wedded to mercy from God to us and us to others. You know, one of the ways you transmit that you are a redeemed believer, that you are saved, that you are regenerate, is that you have received mercy from God. It has come down from on high and come into your life and it has transformed you so that when you look upon other people, you can broadcast that message out and say, I have mercy now for you that I did not have before I was a believer. This is one of the things that we testify And if you are not testifying that, then you need to look up towards God and say, what's broken in me? What in me doesn't have mercy from you that I have enough now to give to others? Because if he gives you mercy, you should have plenty to offer out. And if you don't have mercy from him, you won't have any to give. And the picture here is, he says, he who showed mercy on him. Do you have the mercy that you need from God Almighty? Have you been forgiven? Have you been restored? Your disdain for the people around you that have need might have everything to do with your broken fellowship with the Almighty. When I look at somebody and I have to turn them down, sometimes that's the mercy that I offer them to set a boundary and say, how can I help you so that you don't continue to have this need? Always thinking about the right way to fix the problem instead of just handing a fish to somebody. You know the adage. I'd rather hand you a fishing pole show you how to dig worms and hand you fish after fish after fish. That's what this man did. He bandages him up. He says, let me put you into the right place you can get healthy you can get back on your way. Jesus' clear response, go and do likewise. I would love for us to start championing the expression here. And I really think that, that we could boil down you know, our primary strategy into something that sounds something like this. Primary strategy of Crossroads Baptist Church is to love our neighbor as we love ourselves. I think that that is a biblical statement that we could get behind, and I, I hope that, that you realize that that's what we're saying—that we want to love our neighbors. You know, there are a number of people that I know have need. I can't—I'm struggling just to try to find daylight to get to them. But there's a moment. There's a moment here where we realize that if every single one of us was tapped out, man, we would have—we would have a problem in another kind of way, and that is. People would say, those people there, they hand out mercy because they sure know where to find it. One great preacher said, you know, and I can't quote the the, the source of this, and I've heard it many times from many different people. What's a Christian but a beggar who found bread? Who's telling other beggars where that bread is? We have found mercy. Let's offer it to some other people. So one of the great benchmarks of being an American is looking back over our proud history and realizing we haven't always gotten it right but when we were getting it right, we realized that we're a melting pot of the world and we came here and we unified under one banner of understanding that there would be certain rights. One of those is worship. I'm excited about that. I hope that you, when you look at your neighbor, you now start to look at them from a biblical perspective. But it all boils back down to this statement and I ended here last week too and so I want you to hear me very clearly. He says, love your neighbor as yourself. Do you love yourself? God loves you. Have you come to a place where you have received his mercy? Mercy that says that you can be forgiven of your sin, that you can have a reconciled and right relationship with him? Do you have something since that has happened in your life that has broken your fellowship with God? If so, today is the day to come and talk to him about it, to come and cry out to him. And and, and from right where you're at or up front with me, it doesn't matter. Cry out to God and say, fix this. Help me fix this. Start there. When you look at others and you lack compassion, ask yourself, do I have a right relationship with God? Because he has he has so much mercy. Um, a poor woman one time was given an opportunity to go on a trip in London and, and she took the trip from where she lived in the middle of the city out towards the ocean. And when she got there, they're having a good time and she's weeping and people are confused about it. They look at her and they say, why are you so upset? And she said, in my life, I have only seen lack when I get to this water I see something that there's enough finally enough of something and I'm reminded of the mercy of God that there's enough of it for absolutely everyone that there might be lack in your life of resource there might be lack of your, in your life of, of, of means there might be lack of employment or there might be lack of health. but you know what there's not a lack of it. if you cry out to God it's His mercy you need his mercy do you have it today? So the first cry out for the invitation is is that you would ask God for the mercy that you need. And then you would ask him to be able to give it to others. Would you stand with me today? Would you bow your heads? Lord God, we thank you that as we come into this place that we are reminded that you, that you start in us a right place, a right heart one that is filled with mercy because your heart has mercy for us. Lord, I ask that today that we would be the recipients of an overwhelming mercy that when we turn to others, we would have a like-mindedness with you, that it would be upward and outward from us and that when we're lacking it, we would turn and look to you, we would seek it from you, we would ask it from you and then we would have it to give to others. What we may not have Everything that everyone ever wants from us. But if we can offer them mercy, Lord, that's the place to start. I beg, Lord, today that we would respond to you crying out for your mercy. Crying out to have enough to give to others. Doing ministry in spite of our heritage, in spite of our lineage, in spite of our our position. Just having compassion that is born out of mercy. We ask for this in Jesus' name. Amen.